Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Good morning. Yeah, it works. Good, good. Fall has arrived with a vengeance, hasn't it? My goodness, we have switched over. We are returning to fall with all cylinders. Rain, 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 uh, wet. This year, though, I don't have a garage, so I'm learning how to run through the rain again. Uh, We're out in a parking lot, out in the garage. So um, we've been talking about this theme called Return for the last number of weeks. Uh, Return, and Daniel reminded us last week that this is not about a, a talk to return to what was. Uh, what we thought things should be or what we think things should be. It's simply a call for us to return to the Lord. Daniel did an incredible job last week, if you haven't heard it, on fasting. Uh, And fasting is not about a whole bunch of things. I'm not going to re-preach his message, but suffice it to say that prayer and fasting have always gone hand in hand with great moves of God in individuals and in, uh, in churches and in nations. They've always gone together. And so when we say return to the Lord uh, through fasting, we're reminding ourselves that my flesh is, is very strong and my spirit is, tends to be weak. And fasting is one of those ways that you reverse that scale that dynamic. And so we're going to continue along this morning in returning to the Lord out of Zechariah chapter 1 and uh, verse 3. I think it'll show up on the screen. It says, therefore, say to the people, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Return. Someone say return. Return to me, he says, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Don't be like your ancestors who would not listen Or pay attention when the earlier prophets said to them, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says, turn from your evil ways and stop all your evil practices. So I want to draw attention to where where God is saying through the prophet Zechariah, return to me. Not return to a program, not return to a situation that was comfortable for you, not return to a past revival, not return to what you think that your life should be right now, but return to me because he is at the center of everything god himself through jesus came to restore us to relationship to god so that everything that god ever intended for our life would flow through that relationship with jesus and so when we say return we're not that's what we're actually saying in all of this is everything returning in prayer why so we can return to the lord return in fasting why so we can return to the lord and we're, we're talking today return in repentance why so i can return with all of my heart to the Lord. And when I preach this, and I've said it, I think each week that I preached on this, I am also preaching to myself. I am not preaching just to me, uh, but I'm also preaching to you and with you. And I'm inviting all of us into the possibility that we need to return. There are areas and spaces in all of our hearts that need to return to Jesus. All of us. And with a little background for this passage, it says that around Zechariah, this was written about 
in October or November in 520 BC. And you can tell that by the, the dating in the verse, verse, first verse there. So 2,541 years ago, Zechariah writes this, and, and the people of God had just been in a captivity with Babylon and Persia for about 70 years. And this was when they had just come back or returned to, to their, their native land, and they were about to begin building the temple. And it was, uh, he was a contemporary of the prophet Haggai, who is just to the left in your Bible. If you want to find that, turn left, Haggai. Um, and he started prophesying about two months after Haggai had regathered the, the exiles and they were about to rebuild the temple. The temple was the seat of worship where God's presence was contained. And thankfully, because of Jesus, his presence is not contained to a building. He comes and lives and abides inside of us. But they both prophesied uh, on the occasion of the rebuilding of the temple. And the, the historical account in Ezra 2 tells us that were about 50,000 Jews that had returned to the land from exile. And the temple building project was finished about four years later. And they, he gives this strong reminder to the people of God. And as he begins, he says this. He says, I want to remind you about something, about what your ancestors' disobedience brought on them. Because they didn't go into captivity because of an accident or because of any other reason other than that they have wandered from the Lord very, very clearly. And after time, after time, after time, the prophets would come and say to them, return to the Lord. And so Zechariah is reminding them that their ancestors' disobedience caused all problems in the first place, and his message was basically, let's not make the same mistake. So 2,541 years later, the message is still very applicable. In a world that's gone crazy in so many ways, family strife, we have division and tribalism on so many issues, marital breakups, jealousy, comparison, Envy, hatred, and you could go on and on and on. And he's reminding us that what's happening in our culture, what's happening in our home, what's happening in our churches, the answer is to return to me. And he says these five things, directives to us. He says, return to God, listen to God, pay attention to God, return to God. Listen to God. Pay attention to God. Return to God. Listen to God. Re pay attention to God. And then he says there's a response that happens in us as we return to God. We turn from evil and we turn from our wicked ways. There's something that happens when you get in the presence of a holy and a powerful and a righteous God. That when you get closer to God, suddenly the thing that had held us in, in whatever way, whether it was walking away from our first love, whether it was some other issue, the closer I get to God, the further I get from that. The closer I get to Jesus, is the more entire and, and empowered I am by him. Returning means turning from something and turning to something. Turning from my ways and turning to God's ways. And in our gracious and good God says to his backsliding people, which he had said often by the prophets, turn to me in faith and repentance and I will turn to you in favor and reconciliation. Repentance, what does repentance mean? Re repentance is not feeling bad about something. That's remorse. Repentance is something much, much different. 
The Bible dictionary defines repentance in this sense as a complete change of orientation involving a judgment upon the past. I don't want that. And a deliberate redirection for the future. So I was oriented this way. But when when I return in repentance, I'm orienting and turning my life this way. It's a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of action by turning away from sin and returning to God. The invitation to repent is a call to absolute surrender to the person and way of Jesus. It means turn to the Lord. It means live in awareness of Jesus and what he's called you to do and be. Jesus issued a radical call to all people say, unless you repent, you will perish. There's an immediate effect to that because when we walk in the way of the world and in sin, there's an immediate devastating effect that hurts us in so many areas. But there's also an ultimate effect if we don't return in repentance to the Lord where we'll be separated from him for eternity. And when we read this account from 2,541 years ago, it's a strong reminder that when we are facing trouble and defeat, God is calling us to stop trusting in ourselves, to stop trusting in our ways and turn and start trusting him. He's encouraging us, turn from yourselves, turn from your own ways and turn to me. He's never forced us to return. He's never worked that way. His desire has been that we would return to him from our heart. He prompts us to return, but he never forces us. And we see this strong reminder in 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There is a cultic view of Christianity that John was addressing here, and it's actually trying to make a comeback in our day. It builds on the idea that Jesus was a good moral teacher who provides an example that we should follow because we are basically good and we just need some special knowledge and then we will be fine and right with God. We see this in many aberrant forms of Christianity today that do not see Jesus as we believe, as the son of God who came sent by God to come to pay the price for our sins so that we wouldn't have to, to reconcile us to God, to set us on a new pathway for life, that we could become all that God uh, intended for us to be because we didn't have an information problem, we have a sin problem. And the way to deal with our problem is to go to the one who solves the problem. That is the person of Jesus. And if we look at that scripture, there are two extreme views of sin. There are those who think, those of us who might think that I don't have a sin issue. And then there are those who think everything is a sin issue and walk always afraid that they're going to get vaporized by God in some way, that they're sin and they feel under shame all the way. Two extremes. But we believe when we talk about repentance, we believe that the Bible teaches that when you surrender your life to God and ask him to forgive you, he takes care of past, present, and future. And that means that positionally, we become sons and daughters of God. This is a theolog theological discussion right now. Our position is secure because of the work of God on our behalf. We do not have to live in constant fear that we will lose our position as a son or a daughter because we may had a wrong thought or a wrong action. The theological word for that is justification. 
They used to teach us this, that it's like just as if you had never sinned. The action where God declares that you are right with him and you are seated with him in the heavenly places with Christ. And it says this, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Some people say God forgets our sins. God does not forget our sins. He chooses by an act of his will because he loves you so much that he chooses to remember no more. He doesn't hold it against us. He's not holding it over us like some kind of despot. He is a good and a faithful and a kind God who says, when you ask for forgiveness, I forgive. Positionally, nothing changes. But what about when we surrender to Jesus and after that, we sin? That happens to me. It might happen to some of you, I think. Sanctification is another theological word. It means being set apart for God. It's the process of walking with Jesus, walking out the ways of sin, out of the ways of sin that are more entrenched in our thinking and in our behaviors. So we are saved in our spirit, but then God begins to change us in our body and in our thinking, in our soul realm, so that we can live according to who he is and become more like Jesus. This is more relational. We don't walk in fear of losing our position. What we recognize and aware that sin affects our relationship with God and others, and with the help of his Holy Spirit, we take steps to walk out of who we were into God has always designed us to be. Because what sin does, whether, you've been, whether you sinned or someone sinned against you or the sin of the world that we're in, it all affects us. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have been... We have first been changed positionally, but then by the relationship with God, we begin to walk out of old ways, out of old habits, out of familial things, out of ways that we learned growing up, out of the ways that sin has marred us because of hurt and pain. And by the goodness and grace of God, we begin to move forward. And what is this all about, Craig? Though Western Christians often don't realize that there's a spiritual war going on all around us. Travel anywhere in the world, probably anywhere in the developing world, and this is very much in your face, but in our context, it looks differently. The spiritual war is still incredibly here. And you're like, what are you talking about? Well, let me start with this, John 10 and 10, 10b. Jesus said this, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full, or some translations have it abundantly abundantly, overflowing. That's why Jesus came. But the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So you have two personalities working at the same time. One, Jesus has come that you might have life and life to the full. The other one has come that you might that, that he would do this, his desire is to steal and to kill and to destroy, to steal your joy, to steal your freedom, to steal your hope, to steal your expectation, to steal your peace. And then he wants to kill you, kill your hope, kill every dream that God's placed in your heart, kill the purpose that God put in you from before you were born, kill everything good in you that God's been trying to do. And finally, he wants to destroy everything and anything that has the mark of God on it, your marriage, your children, your ministry. And so when we say steal, kill, and destroy, there is an enemy that is clever and has developed some cunning strategies to steal and kiss, kill, and destroy from you. 
He has strategies against you. He's working hard at it. Paul in Ephesians 6 and 11 says this, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the enemy. There is a strategy for your life. There's a strategy for your home. There's a strategy for your family. There's a strategy for this church. There's a strategy for the church of Jesus that the enemy is always trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And and when I say return to, it's so that we can be very aware of every strategy of hell that is designed to steal, kill, and destroy. Because some of us are working on things so, so hard, but there is a spiritual battle that's happening, and we need to recognize that it's about more than the people around us. It's about more than a situation that I'm in. It's the reality that there is a spiritual force working actively against you to stop you from being the incredible person doing incredible things for God that he always had, that he always marked your life for from the beginning of time before you were ever born. His hand has been on your life. He has seen you. He has marked you out for his purpose. And every strategy of hell is trying to stop what God wants to do through your life. I'm so encouraged, Craig. His greatest strategy is this. Ephesians 4 and 26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Someone say foothold. Foothold. Our unrepented sin can give the enemy a foothold in our life and left longer and unrepented, it can lead to a stronghold in our life that begins to affect our thinking. And when you, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So he starts when we give him a place of a foothold. He's not content with that. He wants to build a stronghold. So then we begin to say things and do things that are different than God designed us to do because there was a foothold started in our life through unrepentance. Returning in repentance is not about getting us out from God's or getting us under God's thumb so he can dominate our life. We need constant communication from God to overwhelm every strategy of the enemy. Returning in repentance is to help us walk from the enemy's plans for us to steal, kill, and destroy, and into God's purpose of life and life to the full. Returning to Jesus. Do we have room to consider that perhaps we might need to return in repentance? Paul writes to a church in Galatians to help us see this clearly. In Galatians 5, 19 through 21, now the works of the flesh are evident. Someone say works. This is what works of our flesh. Adultery, fornication, which just means sexual immorality, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder. And Jesus said murder is when you hate someone in your heart. Drunkenness, revelries, and the like, which is wild parties, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time path, those who practice, not those who from time to time stumble, but those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is not an exhaustive list. This is just a list to ref- refer to. And we could all add, we could add worry. We could add gossip. We could add comparison. We could add so many things. And this is, some have sought to organize this list in four categories, sensual sins, religious sins, interpersonal sins, and social sins. It's not a salvation issue, but any unrepented things give a foothold to the enemy to 
bring into our life to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That doesn't mean every bad thing that happens in your life is simply because of something you did. Sometimes it's because of what someone did to you. Sometimes it's also because of the sin that's in the world. But at its root, all have their root in sin. But those who are, have say, are saved by God's grace have a high obligation to live differently. It's not a salvation issue, not to earn salvation, but in gratitude for our salvation and in simple consistency with who we are following, Jesus. Because when we come to Jesus to have our sins forgiven and our souls saved, it, it changes our life. It doesn't happen all at once. And we're all a work in progress, but there will be a real change nonetheless. Charles Spurgeon said this, the grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. In other words, there should be an effect of God inside on the outside. How do we change? Galatians 5 and 22 through, but the fruit, someone say fruit. It was the works of the flesh, but it's the fruit of the spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. So God does not just look at what we don't do. I got to repent of this. I got to clean up my life over here. I got to fix all that stuff. Instead, he's looking at who we are and who he always created us to be. And the fruit of the Spirit is compared to the work of the flesh. Work, works are works and fruit is fruit. Fruit isn't about achieving by working. It's birth by adding, abiding in, drawing near to Jesus. Just as grapes aren't formed by the vine really, really trying, but rather by the branch simply staying connected to the vine. Jesus said in John 15, abide in me, stay connected to me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. It's less about willpower and more about Holy Spirit power. The fruit of the Spirit. In the big picture, the Holy Spirit has one great job with all of us. More than this, but he is working to conform us to the image and likeness of Jesus. To make us more like Jesus. Does the world need more Jesus in it? All of us are perfectly positioned to bring heaven wherever we go, if we walk in the Spirit. It may be also significant that the fruit is singular. He's not speaking of a series of fruits that you get joy and you get peace and that person back there gets patience. He's actually saying, it's, and he didn't say fruits, he said fruit, like a cluster that we're all meant to have in ever-increasing measure, not by our works, not by our might, but by the Holy Spirit the good Holy Spirit who works from the inside out and transitions us out of all the stuff that we've walked through, all the stuff that's been done to us, all the world that we live in, and transforms us little by little, day by day. See, Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. Didn't say live with it or put up with it. Some of us have had the devil do a number on our lives. Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. And the Holy Spirit inside of us empowers us to do just that. We do not have to submit to the enemy's plans to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But instead, live in, discover, enjoy life and life to the full. Didn't say life without any problems. 
life to the full, that even in difficult seasons, we have the sense and presence of God walking and leading us. Because sometimes we often, we may think that our problems and difficulties are all outside of ourselves. We often think the issue might be someone else's issue. Or we may think the world would be fine if everyone just treated us right and if our circumstances just got better. But that ignores the tenor of this chapter in Galatians. The problems are in us. The ones that we can control, they're in us. All the stuff that people have done to me, I can't control that except forgive it. The world around me, I can't change that except first God doing a work in me. And they need to be dealt with by the Spirit of God. One of the early church fathers, Augustine, used to often pray, Lord, deliver me from that evil man, myself. That's the power of the Holy Spirit inside us. We do not need to be victims to what, was, what we have done, what has been done to us or the world around us, but through his spirit working in us, we can be changed and transformed. With that kind of a reality check, we can see a new world and a new life. We must return to and yield to the spirit of God. And that is what returning in repentance is all about. I don't know if you have been following along, but in our devotional on Saturday, uh, Pastor Mike, it was on YouTube and it's also in print, but just talked about that sometimes when we hear a list like I read earlier, we're like, nope, nope, nope. Murder, nope. Drunkenness, nope. This, nope. And we can make it a problem for somebody else. But often the tenor of scripture is also, like we talked about at the beginning, return to me. You can be in a, in a family, in a, in a marriage, and have not do anything wrong, but have a, a marriage that's devoid of love. We don't, I don't commit adultery on my wife. I, I don't beat her. I don't yell at her. I don't curse her. But the reality is returning involves returning to him, to Jesus, to our first love. And I think there might be room in all of our hearts to say, do I need to return, Lord, in some way to you? What does that look like in James 4, 7 to 8? A lot of scripture this morning. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Submit. Someone say submit. Someone say resist. Someone say come near. Here we go. This is what it looks like to return to the Lord. Choose to submit to God. That simply means come under God's arrangement. We sometimes have our life arranged to suit us, to suit our preferences to suit our perspectives, to suit our perspectives and our comforts and everything nicely arranged for us. But maybe a prayer could be, Holy Spirit, come and lead my life today. I invite you to rearrange my life, to conform to your purposes. I give you, God, permission to arrange, to rearrange my life, my priorities, my perspectives, my attitudes, my finances, my relationships. Open my eyes to see where I'm out of alignment. I submit and come under your arrangement. I submit to God. I choose to resist the devil. And that simply means take a complete stand against, take a contrary position, to hold your ground. 
Hold your ground. Sometimes, not sometimes, it's grace and grit. God's working in you and some endurance that you have to choose that I'm going to stand in the presence of God and I'm going to stand against what's happening against me right now and I'm refusing to move. I'm refusing to be pushed around. How do I resist? Prayer is a great source of power. Jesus said this, watch and pray so that you will not fall. Watch and pray so that you will not fall. Do not underestimate the power of prayer to move you in repentance. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Third, come near to God. What are some ways you can come near to God? Praise and worship is powerful. Psalm 22 and 3 says that God inhabits or takes up residence in the praises of his people. Sometimes the thing that you need to do to shift an atmosphere is to begin to shift what's coming out of your mouth. Begin to shift instead of to complaining about what's not working and saying how the enemy is winning. I begin to shift and say, this is how I fight my battles. I begin to praise. I begin to thank. I begin to give glory to Jesus, thanking him for what he has done and things begin to shift in that moment and the word of God is powerful to realign me and finally this is what happens is that God comes near to you Acts 3 and 19 says repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord refreshing I can't think of a of a time, that, or, or I can't think of one thing that would be more needed right now than a time of refreshing from the Lord. Refreshing of our souls, refreshing of our relationships, refreshing of our perspectives, refreshing of the Lord from the inside out. That's part of the reason why we're talking about return nights on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday of this week. But this passage is place things directly in our court. Do we see it? It was never God who moved away from us. It was us who moved away from him. And his grace continues to reach and to extend and to invite and to call us back to him. He wants his spirit to lead the way on the inside. Not because he wants to control you, because he wants to give you life and life to the full to stop every plan of the enemy, to steal, to kill, and destroy. And as God reminds us today, return to me, and I will return to you. What does that stir, stir in your own spirit? Are we willing to consider that there's some space in my heart, in my life, in my actions to return? to the Lord. Joel 2 and 13 says, return to the Lord for he is gracious and compassionate. Will we consider that each one of us have spaces and places that we need to return? Where do I need to return in repentance? Where is he speaking in, to in our lives and saying, there's so much more for you, so much more life for you than you're currently living in, than you're currently invested in and currently experiencing. Return. I just want to invite you to take a moment, whether you're online or you're in Princeton or you're in the room, just take a moment and close your eyes. Lord, where do I need to return? 
Where do I need to return? Not somebody else, not the person beside you, not a list of somebody else. Where do I need to return to you? finish praying to our online hosts in Princeton. Jesus, I thank you that you are the one who said you have come that we may have life and life to the fullest. Lord, whatever has happened in our past, whatever has been done to us, the world that we're in, we return to you and thank you that you're able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask, think, or imagine according to your power at work within us. We acknowledge our absolute desperate need for you. We need you. Come, let us return unto the Lord. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.